I'm stood in the centre of bustling Soho and I'm ridiculously excited. I'm en route to meet what I can only describe as creative geniuses, uh, two of them in fact, and they're the designers behind everything, and I mean everything you see in Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts films, Eduardo and Mirafora, also known as Mina Lima. I'm excited for this one and I was thinking about why. It's because I believe that there is such importance in putting magic in anything you're building, be it a product or a service. And then there's attention to detail and it so matters when building a brand. And actually the list just goes on. The creators and editors of The Daily Prophet probably know a thing or two about all of this. Right, here we go. I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. I'm the founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, and I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business, doing what you love, is the key to a happy, fulfilled life, and my dream is to help everybody start theirs. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs, and those who just simply inspire me, and asked them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor, NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. Hi guys, this is a special day for me. I am ridiculously excited to be sitting with you two, the creative gods, the utter geniuses, the designers behind everything you see in the Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts films, Eduardo and Mirafora, also known as Mina Lima in your gorgeous shop in Soho called the House of Mina Lima. So thank you so much, both of you, for being on this podcast. We are the hugest fans of yours at Holly & Co. And we cannot wait to chat to you today. Thank, thank you, you for, for having, having us. us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am actually sitting within the creative genius. I've never done a podcast in such a creative surroundings. So I'd love to know a little bit about your backgrounds, what you studied, what your passions were, and how this led to what you're doing today. Mira, do we start with you? Well, I basically was born into a pretty creative family. So I think the options of doing anything other than being creative were, were pretty limited. Um, and I didn't really know anything else and was then sent to a school that happened to be pretty creative too. So I had sort of plenty of opportunity to to explore that side of, of me, which was, was really the only side I knew, actually. And um, from there, I went to uh, doing a foundation course, which was probably the best and most active and, and satisfying creative year ever, to then doing a degree in theatre design, which I really knew, I thought I knew nothing about, but actually, in retrospect, I'd grown up with a set designer dad, but he was working in TV. So I was spending a lot of my childhood going in and out of film studios, um, art departments, and just kind of soaking it in without really realising it, I suppose, which was really the beginning of where we are today, I think. It just unlocked that opportunity to, to do that. Following that, I then went on to do a postgraduate in film design, which was kind of an evolution of working within the film industry. And then, Eduardo, can you tell us a bit about your background? Because you were born in Brazil. yes. So different from Mira, my family is not, was not artistic at all. And it was funny enough, now I was in Brazil for Christmas, I had this cousin of mine. She's a brilliant artist. Anything that she 
you give her to do, she will do amazing. She's absolutely uh, incredible. And uh, I was talking to her because she was my first inspiration that said, I, I just, I would love, I, I love seeing her drawing anything. And she said to me, like, funny enough, because why us two? Because in our family, there's no non mm. artistic people, just us two. And said, something went wrong here. And I said, no, no, right. no, something went absolutely <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, my, my dream was always to work in, in films. I, since I was a li uh, little boy, I was fascinated about films. I remember when I was even five, six, going watching the Oscars all through the night. And it was when the, the ceremony was like six hours long, seven hours long. And I used to be all night watching and dreaming that I wanted to be part of this world. I wanted to be part of filmmaking. Um, so I moved to, to Rio. I come from like a very small town in the countryside of Brazil. So I moved to Rio. I, I tried to go to a film school. But at the same time, I kind of find out that I was interest in graphics as well. So I did graphic design. Funny enough, I met another angel in my life called Virginia. She was a film editor and was in a moment that in Brazil, the film industry was very uh, bad. And so she was studying design as well because she said I needed to find another thing to do in my life. At the same time, the film industry started to become a little bit busier and she invited me to become her assistant in editing. And so I never really done any graphic design work in Brazil. I was working with her doing lots of uh, film editing. It was just when I moved to the UK that I my first job as a graphic designer was on Harry Potter. That was as an incredible um, I mean, uh, 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 yeah. Not a bad job. No, no, no. Some, uh, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I even like pitch myself, like pitch myself. Yeah. Is this really Real? happening? Yeah. And uh, but 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 yes, I, I always I knew that I was always wanted to work with, with in in, oh. in films. So well, that to be able to be doing this right now, is, is wanting cool. to work in films and your first job landing Harry Potter is uh, yes. yes. I think it's a, <laughs> it's not a common a common situation. But tell me, you met on the Harry Potter set back in the early two thousands. Was it creative love at first sight? Well, we're both a bit sort of fatalistic and uh, about things. And now, looking back, nearly twenty years of working together, we do sort of well. We joke that that was just a very later version of a of, of our much earlier selves in in another century or another sometimes when we see like a, a piece of graphics <laughs> from you know 1750 or, or medieval or, time yeah. we're like oh do you remember when we we did we struggled over the, the font on that and <laughs> look, with the candle like it was candle terrible was so, <laughs> yeah. so, cold. so it just it, from if if that's anything to describe how we yeah it, it was connect. kind of um collaboration at first sight in and in terms of Eduardo came to do work experience on that on that second Harry Potter film. It just so happened that there was a position a few months later for an assistant to work with me. So he just kind of sidestepped in. But it wasn't just a sidestep. It was the right person, the right time, the right place, and fundamentally um, sharing values that we kind of unraveled very quickly after that. Throughout today, when when we're talking, you will see that my life is surrounded by angels, and they are mostly women. And uh, the, there is another angel person that put me and Mira together. Was this film director called Ludmilla? I said, I'm I'm going to move to London, and she said, Oh, if you go to London, you should contact my friend Mira. She's working 
on a film about a young wizard orphan. No, no idea what that film is about. But you should contact her. <laughs> it's not going to be very successful, but you should go over. Yeah, so I, I sh you should contact her. So I did, and I contacted her, and Mira was so uh, kind and, and lovely. She said, oh, I just finished Harry Potter 1. Come, uh, I'm going to start Harry Potter 2 very soon. Come and see me, and let's see what's happened. And... That was it. That was it, yeah. But I think I remember really... Did you call really... anyone else? No, I just called you. Because I gave you a you. list of contacts. No, because Mira was, again, she was... She, she was... You weren't on the bottom just, That was my list. backup. Yeah, <laughs> just in case. No, she was amazing because when I met Mira, we kind of knew each other already. And Mira said, I, I can offer you a, a, some work experience if you want to. And, and so and I did one week, history. two weeks, three weeks, still four months, five months. <laughs> And I'm still around. Have you, have you got that list? Can you call some of it? <laughs> no, but that's quite good because sometimes I think young people nowadays, they feel that doing work experience might be uh, not the right thing to do because, but I think sometimes it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. You have to go and do, and you have to do the coffees and the teas and things, but it's all going to pass if you show that you are committed, that you are loyal and you are and hard it, working. And it's a great opportunity opportunity to observe as well Absolutely. which people forget because oh completely i think in this day and age we 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 might be too much in a hurry to get to that place but actually the absorption of absorption of of all these skills that you were seeing but i also just want to touch on this idea of an angel a number of people in on these on the podcast have said you know that they've had these sort of guardian angels or angels that have appeared at times and it's a beautiful thing to recognize that just as much as anything in business you know this term business mm -hmm. the guardian angels and angels are very much part of it um, and we've all got it it's whether we recognize it or not I wanted to talk about I mean I don't even know how to even begin bringing to life the millions of creative details that JK Rowling wrote about it must have been a complete dream come true but also as the series went on a real pressure without kind of lowering what we now see as this legacy and everything. Don't forget that when we start, when I started in 2000, very, f yeah, a few people were reading the book and that might've been between 10 and 15 year olds and actually, maybe their parents. Yeah. Actually, when Stuart Craig, the production designer, invited me to join him in, in Harry Potter, he said, let's see how it goes. It might be just for five, six months on mm -hmm. the first film. And the first film was about a year and then obviously yeah. we're still here. But yeah, in that first... Um, instance, every single person on the film production was, in inverted commas, just doing another film production. Yeah. They didn't they come didn't in know. thinking, wow, I'm on Harry Potter. They, it was an interesting piece to to do your best on. And that's basically how we would work is um, especially being a freelancer. You know, as I think the whole freelance culture is that you're only as good as your last job. So you'll always try and put in your mm -hmm. best um, for that and respond to that particular brief. And then it got to about the fourth or fifth film. And I, I do remember saying to Eduardo, um, which probably is not a very savvy move. Um, do you think our CV is going to look a bit crap that it's just got like this repetition of things one, two, to do three yeah. <laughs> and he was like do you know what let's just stick it to the end because I think I feel like this is going to be a good good decision so we did we stuck to the end and and at that point what you just said What's sort of kicked happening? in is that you started to think actually there is um a response here that's that's bigger than we imagined um so yes we do need we have an ob a, a, an obligation to deliver but I think in good business opportunities and good creative opportunities without those demands put on you to deliver and to do better 
you kind of stand still. And I thank God we had them because we always feel, even now, we've just started working on Fantastic Beasts 3. So this is now the, the 11th film production in this franchise that we've done. So, And it's just like day one. Yeah. We still kind of like, oh, God, how... I, how, I don't know. How are we supposed to, like, how do you, we still what, feel, what is that we still feel like, going to look like? You know? Are we going to be able to design those things again? Are we going to be able to Have you come up out? with more yeah, ideas? Yeah, and, yeah. And, it's know. very annoying because if people ever ask you, where do you get your ideas or how do you do it? Yeah, I, that's, that's one of that's, my questions. Okay, well, we'll, we'll come on yeah, to so, that. So yeah. in between um, from now until the question in about four questions time, if you could have worked that out, okay. yeah. that would be absolutely fantastic. The magical formula <laughs> to creativity, basically. Yeah. You know, when we feel that this has been a Harry Potter frenzy from day one, it wasn't. Actually, you'd worked on a number of the films before that had actually kicked yeah. in. Yeah, I think the books were, were, yeah. were having huge traction and they were coming out very quickly. So they were coming out sometimes just a year ahead of us making the films. So it was very, I mean, I now wonder whether that sort of dynamo, you know, and that, that energy also helped create such a great body of work from everybody, from, you know, right through the, the team of, of filmmakers. But I remember really well, like up to Harry Potter, the third Harry Potter, I think even Warner Brothers, they were not 100% sure that they were going to do the full franchise. And I think Harry Potter 3, the, the Prisoner of Azkaban, came and completely changed the, 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 the franchise as well and gave another... No, um, Momentum to yes. this. Yes. And uh, so it was all kind of natural, not organic happening. We were not thinking uh, in the future and, and the life after the films because there were a few franchises that have this yeah. thing like Star Wars. Star and, Wars. I, I was just talking about it last night to my son, saying, yeah. you know, think about what else has this sort of phenomenal effect on product to um, spin-offs to uh, books to you know can you tell us Mira about the first pieces you had to make for the film the iconic handwritten Hogwarts letter I'm sure it sparked a calligraphy phenomenon well the the kind of job that we do in any film regardless whether it's a historical piece or a fantasy um, we need to be masters of fakery forgery so even a letter um, is still in this fictional world. So it needed, I didn't want it to look like a traditional calligraphy, perfect calligraphy. It still needed to be imbued with some of the personality of the character who'd written it. And this is a theme that just gets us through a lot of the difficult decision-making about what to, how to make a prop or design a prop, is understanding who the character is and how they would have done it, not how I would do it. And... It's almost like finding the language that is going to speak for that piece because the most important thing is that it's not us. Even though we might have a style, we, we, we try and keep that to one side and just answer to the object or the character who's created it or who, who owns it, perhaps. Um, so, yes, that, that letter was the first thing. It was kind of, it's quite a sweet circle, actually, that it was Harry's first inkling of the wizarding world till he was just inundated with this representation of this fictional world and I feel a bit like that with us and then now we 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 only speak that this is our world now so that was a that was a nice thing and of course there's some other key pieces like the marauders map and many books that had to be designed that we would never ever have imagined to actually become a little bit of popular culture, if you like. I, th I think, and I tend to hear when we meet people here in the gallery, that they feel 
an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And that's Absolutely. when you shift from something being just a supporting piece or, or perhaps just working on the film to actually contributing to a language, a popular culture that people are speaking. But there were so many objects that J.K. Rowling described in her writing. So we were given a gift, really, of um, how to visually um, manifest these things that she described in words. Do you remember me when we were setting up the the, the business, the, the the limited edition art print um, website? We we were, we were invited to go to uh, LickCon, that is a fun convention for Harry Potter fans in Chicago. That was our first time ever we'd done anything like that to go to a public and to meet fans. And when we went to give the talk, just to illustrate what you said, me when we start showing slides of props. People would start like applauding. We actually didn't take it. We were like, this can't be right. They must be um, (laughs) either they're mocking us or um, but it it was because they'd a lot of the props that they hadn't seen in the film. Maybe they were just in the background they had read about. So they were again going back to the emotion. They had felt an emotional connection with this world. And suddenly they were seeing it described in its um, three dimension. And they couldn't help themselves kind of um, just express this this huge yeah and it was that was a real transition point for us it was it was our kind of back to front marketing because and this was a really turning point for us in setting up a business was meeting the people who were going to be our our customers and our and our ultimately our fans and um and it gave us so much information about what they wanted, how, and not necessarily specifically what piece they wanted, but just um, to understand that there was an appetite for the craft of filmmaking, yes. in this case for Harry Potter, because yes. there was plenty of it. But we started to see this appetite and thought, well, how can we best serve that without uh, that something that we would like to have on our walls, yes. Yes. but yeah. that we can share? So, But we were very scared that, that the, the, the talk we're going to be more about the actors. Have you met Daniel Radcliffe? Have you met Emma Watson? And it was not what people were asking. How did you decide to make the Marauders map like that? Why did you chose that paper? What is that font? And, and the people were very, as Mira said, starving to know all the details and, uh, and, and for us to show everything that we design that what was not designed. made in the film yeah and actually what you've done for anyone who doesn't realize what you've done is you've taken the products let's say or the 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 imagination that you had on these films and you are now able to sell these products as your own products from Mina Lima this is quite a unique setup isn't it as you were saying not many people in the film world have been able to do this or do do this. Yeah, I think after 10, 10 years of film production and, all, and when we finish the last Harry Potter, we look at each other and say, oh, what are we going to do now? This cannot stop, this partnership, this Mina, Mira's surname and Lima, my surname. We can't not just walk away. Yeah, walk away. So we found this small studio just up the road in, in Fitzrovia and we set up Mina Lima as a graphic design studio. And was like a year later, we like very brave and very completely naive went to Warner Brothers and said, we have a proposal for you. And because of 10 years of relationship in the films, the, the door was a bit open for us to go there and propose something. So we went there completely thinking that they're going to say no. 
with a proposal to do limited edition art prints using all the, the designs we did for the film. And we needed to become a licensee and have contracts and all that stuff. And we'd heard the word license being used, but we didn't fully didn't understand know anything what it about meant. It. Completely naive. Didn't we know, threw it out there we didn't even, in the meeting. Yeah. We didn't even Google what a license deal meant anything. <laughs> so we just went there and like completely like with like a few prints as an ensemble and we got into this very like formal meeting room with five people, three of them wearing suits and things like that. We were like, oh my God, this is going to go really bad. <laughs> and uh, and uh, as soon as we opened the, the portfolio and, and put the prints out there and they all sat on the table and was very informal and they said, of course, you can do that. After when we received the contract, it was like 300 pages. said, what are we doing here? And to be honest, every, the people that we knew, and the, the, very importantly as well here, is that filmmaking and everything outside of filmmaking that supports it commercially, so marketing, um, merchandise, um, publicity, are two very separate beasts. Although Eduardo said the door was a little bit open for us, we didn't know anyone in that world. And from consumer products in Los Angeles and they didn't really know who who we were we it was they heard so about I it. felt like we'd sort of crossed the line yeah, and crossed, gone into crossed this over to another other camp. yes into yes. this other place that we that but it's it a was bit alien to it you. was but I think like when you're younger sometimes that naivety just carries is a little cloud and it just bobs you along oh and it's I like, think naivety oh. is along with along when we talked about the guardian angels another sort of thing that I've realized throughout all these stories that we're capturing is naivety is one of these magical things that do allow dreams to come true and that actually it is that mm. you had the courage you thought well yeah. what's the worst that's going to happen they're going to say no um and the no is yours already you know someone told me that once like Everything that you go to do it, always think that you already have the no. You if already have the, the no. The answer, no, is ah. yours already. If you get yes. the yes, it's a bonus. Okay, it's a bonus. Yeah. okay so, so assume like, the answer is 100% no, <laughs> deal with it, and yeah. then yeah. then there's and only a bright side to, might give to you every more conversation. Courage, might, might, yeah. Also, I don't remember ever seeing a business plan, or I don't think we even knew what that, that was. And this isn't to say, oh, you know, like these two hippies that we we thought we were kind of focused i mean we were focused on the thing the product and we just tried to find ways to make it happen for example using my garden shed as the print studio and buying a this huge printer that looked like a small car and we just taught ourselves that i mean it, it it's that's not the complicated bit the, the business bit became the complicated bit but bolting on those things um enabled the original vision to, to unravel and um i think that's probably looking back the 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 thing that just kept the momentum going was having a vision of like what what do those people those the all those the fans that were sitting in capes in the corridors of that hotel in chicago that really really want this and we've we've got it and so how do we've just got to make it we, happen yeah We're proud to partner with NatWest. They support small businesses in so many ways. Just one of these ways is through Backer Business. This programme will match fund up to a million pounds a year, creating hundreds of successful applicants when they crowdfund through Backer Business. Listen to the end of this podcast to find out more. 
With a continued commitment to small businesses, NatWest, in a world first, give away the rest of this ad break space to small businesses and independents. They truly believe in the power of small and want to give you the opportunity to showcase your business to hundreds and thousands of listeners. So without further ado, let me hand over to this week's NatWest Independent Ad Break winner. Hello, my name's Lucy and I've got a small business called Zulu Cow, importing sustainably and ethically sourced cowhide bags, belts, cushions and exquisite rugs out of Africa. All Zulu Cow's pieces are finely crafted by a talented team of Zulu ladies in rural South Africa, where I spent my childhood. I've been working with Mar Philippine, Tandy and the team for the last seven years, developing and designing our products. In a country with well over 50% unemployment, these jobs are critical for these ladies' survival. Most of the women are sole providers. Kanyi supports her six children on this wage. She told me that not only does this job provide an income, but it gives her freedom and an identity too. Zulu Cow is my passion. Through it, I've met and learnt so much from so many generous, inspiring women. To find out more, go to zulucow.co.uk or Zulu Cow by Lucy on Instagram. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses have and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. I wanted to um, talk about typography because I know it's a huge passion of yours. You created so many of your own fonts. Where did your love come from and where do you get that inspiration? So, so yes, it's, it's essential. And people don't really take too much in consideration that you are surrounded by graphic design and typography. You wake up, the first thing you, you take, you take your phone, you see the hour, there is no one typed there. And... Uh, no, we also joke Namir, that we don't choose typefaces, we cast. So there's like a casting session. So every time <laughs> we are doing a new design, you, you have like your you ten have your ten, ten things. Like X Factor. Yeah, yes. and you along, choose yeah. and, and say, mm, not at this time. And we'll. sometimes they get, so, <laughs> they get so sad when yeah. they're like, you are not coming to oh, the so judge's house this time, but <laughs> next time. <laughs> but that, I mean, joking, joking aside, that also perfectly describes the fact that for us, they have personalities. Yes. And I think for most people they do actually because if you walk down the street and see a signage that that just pulls you into that shop or that um, a cinema poster that gets you to go and see that, it, you know, that's, there's an emotion that's happened there. So there have been decisions made about that that are built on emotion and, and we always use that to be our first uh, criteria for deciding which font to put where. And, yeah. and there's nothing kind of... Um, esoteric about that it just is and sometimes we used to just be kind of embarrassed on on, on film that we might spend too way too many hours casting a casting font. font and then when you've got it you're like well yeah obviously that, yeah. yeah that was why didn't um, we just do yeah, this in a yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's, it's very funny when we are together and geeking about font and, and when we look like a, a nice letter B or number three or number five, whatever, I said, oh my God, I wish I was that number five because it's so beautiful. The lines and the shape is so elegant. And, and often, and most, quite often, I think you're referring to ones that are not necessarily digital. Exactly. Now yeah. there's such a great sort of gamut of uh, digital fonts, but a lot of the ones we're looking at because of the kind of work we're having to do on film um, are maybe 1920s or or Victorian typefaces in old catalogues and things that we then manipulate and scan as if they're image. So we're not feeling constrained by what is out there digitally. We will go and hunt. You'll go and hunt. But that is a very good point to to especially like to, to, to young people now because every time we talk we give talks and we say that we work throughout the, the first two Harry Potter films, basic without computers, was like everything, lots of things done by hand and Photoshop and all those amazing softwares we have were just coming, mm-hmm. no, starting. And uh, so we, yeah, I don't know how we, we managed to do those two and all the medieval beautiful illuminations as but well. It, we it, it was your, it's <laughs> your passion because I often say to people, find your nerdiest subject and Utterly own that yes. nerd status. Find that passion that you cannot get enough of or you can't stop reading that book about or you cannot stop learning about. And that nerdish nature and actually being comfortable about it is what's going to make you stand out and be unique. The way you're even talking about it, it's 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 becoming emotionally attached mm. to your craft and having this relationship before anyone else sees it. Eduardo, tell me about your passions in design. What did you and Mira first bond over when you started working together? Can you remember those first days? I think when we were like getting to know each other and uh, and I remember again Mira saying that she used to pretend that she owned like a post office shop when she was a Quite young, small. Don't, it wasn't yeah. like the week before. No, no, no. Yeah, like when we were five, six, and uh, that, and she used to make all the little letters and the receipts and oh. the stumps and things like that. And I said, I was doing the same thing in Brazil. And uh, so since I was yeah young, of course I had this passion about filmmaking, but I was always drawing, making, creating, and probably both being really possessed by detail. Yes. I think that's absolutely central, apart from the typography thing. It's central to the way we work. And an attention to detail and delivering detail is always at the heart of any design that we're making. And for some time, we did maybe think, do you think anyone wants Like, Are we wasting our time? Has anyone noticed? But it just turns out that people they do notice. notice. Yes. And, and actually, it's the sum of all those little detailed parts that tell the story. And, and do you believe that generally? Because, you know, people are designing right now. Detail costs money. Um, it's time. We need to get something out. We need to ship it. You know, um, half done is better than not done. All these sort of phrases that you can get caught up with, can't you, in this digital age, mm. you know, faster and faster. And you believe that the detail is what makes you successful. Definitely. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean... It, it is a very being a designer now is it's a competitive world obviously we're in a slightly niche one being working in film um but nonetheless we doubt now do also have a business to consider about how we can be distinctive and stand out and that's going to be a very important bit for us and everyone you know in the future is how you can be different and how you can make a difference 
But also, I think there is with creative people that are so that we love so much detail. There is one point as well that you need to let it go as well. There's a point that like, okay, it's done, it's finished. Don't yeah. you don't need to put that little dot anymore. Can no one will notice? Just you and they're absolutely fine. Don't put that dot. Just let <laughs> we it say go. Holly and finish. Go, let it go with love. <laughs> okay, let it well, go we'll with love. It. Yes. yes. <laughs> And, and, you know, we have to remind ourselves about these details that you created. You're the geniuses behind the Daily Profit headlines. Again, such an iconic piece of artwork that you both created. When I went to the Warner Brothers studio tour in Leaveston, I loved reading every tiny bit of detail from the Daily Profit logo to the eye-catching fonts. To And now I know what those fonts had to do <laughs> to get onto that page, to the ways the headlines were laid out across the page, to the magical lottery numbers, to the fun you must have had writing the headlines. You know, one example, Muggle mistakes wand for chopsticks and causes mayhem at Chinese restaurants. I mean, you must have had such fun. Going back to that question that you sort of don't want to be asked, and I'm not saying that you have the Holy Grail (laughs) and the answer, but when you think about your inspiration and you've got, you know, a studio filled with your old books and your historical references and, you know, there are so many people today who are looking to take that imagination onto the next step. They're looking for the next range that they can create. Are there places you go things that you do you know we we, a lot of our businesses um and you know this you know you are in the four walls that you are working in and you don't get out and you don't allow yourself to go to a museum and you don't allow yourself to go and get you know just go to the library and read books or anything like that so tell me about how you keep that brain stimulated I'm glad you said that because I was always feeling a bit guilty that we never get a chance to go out (laughs) apart from when we travel um, which is not very often, but when we do, we're, we're just constantly um, photographing, absorbing, buying books and ephemera. Um, so we are building a little world of a reference world all the time, and our, our library has become quite um, well. Because I, I have formed. a mission, I go to charity shops and and buy books, not not buy, and rescue the books. And uh, so now our library is, is full of old gems that I. Uh, that I found in Oxford shops like for a pound. And I said, no, 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 you're coming with me. So <laughs> so all those things kind of feed yes. us uh, all the time. No, yeah. The- yeah. And actually as um, even creating new work that's not in the wizarding world, we've never ever sought to go and say, well, what's in fashion now? Or what's what's the zeitgeist? How, where should we be in, in the market now? We immerse ourselves in, in research reference material and that could be I say we don't get out to museums but it could be a visit to the V&A or to if we're doing it we were lucky on the first Fantastic Beast films to go and scour markets and archives in New York for the first film and Paris for the second film in order to just understand what the language is from the period or even using even having to describe American advertisements or signage from the 20s it's in English, but it's not British English. It's American English. So just being true to those details. Even the always... kind of paper, the kind of printing techniques they were using. So we needed to be really... no. And that goes back to what you were saying about being nerdy and geeky, yeah. is you need to have that to do this job because mm. um, you have to get totally excited by a strange little um, dance card from 
from 1870 that has a particular ribbon and those things that make you tick will drive forward the ideas. When we find things like that, you can see like our eyes goes like that. And even Samira that works with us, she always like taking pictures of our faces when we open a book and we see this amazing illustration or, or detail in, in, in the binding and... Uh, it's incredible when we find those I think I think that nerd <coughs> status is what's coming through true here. And that's that thing that people need to find. What is that? What could you geek out on that when no one's watching, what just gives you sweaty palms? Now, that is the magic, isn't it? That yes. what, Whatever that is, if you can try and make a business out of it, you've got such a, this defendable world, This you, as we were saying, your USP. This building that we're in, tell me about it and tell me about... because. It's a sort of a shrine, isn't it, to everything that you have built? After that initial um, exposure to, to at LeakyCon back in 2012, I think it was, and sort of understanding this dialogue with the fans that we could potentially nurture and develop, um, we did do a couple of exhibitions after that, but yeah. in a very sort of white wall gallery situation. It, it was great and it was interesting to see how people really spent time engaging and reading those headlines, the ones that you saw at, at Leaveston. Um, so the natural kind of evolution from there seemed to be, well, how could we take these pieces of work and put them back in the narrative from which they came? What would be the best way to talk to the, to these this amazing amount of people who, who, who adore Harry Potter to feel they are stepping into a little piece of that world? Um, now, that didn't mean in any way that we would recreate the sets because that's inappropriate, but it, it did mean having the essence and um, the emotion, going back again to the emotion of their experience. Um, so we set about looking for a pop-up location. But that was uh, that where we started to get it maybe a little bit more clever in running a business. We, we, we knew that the play, The Cursed Child, was going to open in central London and, and we kind of said that is the perfect opportunity for us to Wouldn't try. Wouldn't that be clever to have a shop that you could buy everything that you love right very, next to a very, very exactly. popular theatre production? So, so, we were, so, uh, so we gave us ourselves the task to find a place that was close enough to the Palace Theatre. And we like to say that this house found us. We didn't find this house. I think this house was here waiting to, to do this. Um, again, the naivety of thinking that we could do a three-month pop-up and furnish, decorate, frame maybe a hundred pieces of work, and um, and get the just money for back three months. The, the investment so that's yes. yeah, that's where the business months, plan yeah. hadn't properly kicked in. But it, again, it was sort of driven by an impulse to react to this um, dialogue with with the fans. And as Eduardo said, it was significant that we opened the same week that the previews started at at the Cursed Child, and there was a, a synergy. Um, I don't think they even realised how popular they were going to be. We had some of the actors come in and do a little bit of browsing and stuff. We were like, you won't be able to do this in a couple of months because <laughs> you're going to... And, and it was sellout for, for... Well, it still is. And, and so that, I think, um, it was only then that we started to realise that some of the ideas and, and impulses that we were having were, were timely and sometimes slightly ahead of their time and, and that we should be a bit more focused and acknowledge those instead of thinking, wouldn't it be a nice thing to do that then? But again, with not knowing 
nothing Anything. about how to run, run a, a shop. Retail shop. Re- nothing. We came here. I don't to think we used the word retail ever. We just felt like yeah. it was an experience. Yeah. An experience yeah. that yeah. you could buy some things. I mean, isn't no, it? I, I even felt like, oh, we can just have a cup of iPads like, as a tool, and we don't need stock room. We don't need this. Uh, we might need just three people working here. And so, so yeah. So and that when was we nearly st- four years ago. So, and it's. Um, Proud to say, number fourteen of um, entrepreneur advisor of shop out of a thousand shopping experiences in London. So, so I don't know what happened. Some some kind of um, well, I know what's happened. I'm, se- I'm sitting <laughs> yeah. in it. Some it, sort it, of chemistry. It, you guys, you guys created a, an experience that you could buy from, and that's a pretty magical thing. I think another thing you just said that I wanted to pick up on, which is. You know, you knew that they wanted to experience something. You found this property. You said the property found you. You sort of knew possibly it was a bit ahead of its time, but you pretty much knew it had to happen. And I think, again, this is an interesting thing that does happen to businesses. Mm -hmm. You need to listen to that gut instinct that's saying pretty much whether you like it or not, I'm going to have to have a physical space to live Mm -hmm. in. It's a little bit like what you did with your typefaces. You know, it lives. And I used to talk about it not in the high street. It said, well, actually, I'm just the caretaker. What does it need to do? And I think, again, when we try and pinpoint that into timelines, you know, no, we'll do that in 2022, actually. That's just going to be the perfect time. Actually being ahead of yourself if you can afford to be ahead of yourself, is a great thing because that's what keeps brands alive. Innovation, you know, you're surprising people. It's so interesting you're saying that because that's kind of how things have evolved. And and even after we opened this, we started to create our own books. We've now got seven different titles that just feels like now that they just sort of happened since 2015. And, And even just having this building unraveled and exposed us to other business opportunities, design opportunities that perhaps we wouldn't have had. So it wasn't just people coming and buying things from here or looking at the pictures. It was actually a an exposure into... into, into the, world. Yes. Yeah. And actually, as you said, it um, so succinctly then that, that being the caretakers and shepherds of this movement that happens, um, we're already listening to that voice and how this can then become something... What's the, like? What's the next version of this? This is the version. This house of Mean Lima is the version of the White Wall Gallery. But what's the next version of this? Is it interactive exhibitions? Is it digital art? I don't. I don't know what it is. But it's. But we're listening to those things happening, and, and we're listening we're to what to, it's, yeah. it's telling you. We've teamed up with our friends at Three and all year we'll be working together to make dreams come true. Share your dreams on social using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer and who knows what will come true. With a Three Means business plan, I love that you can get up to £500 worth of benefits from their partners to help give your business a lift in those early days. Now over to a short story about those that dreamed big and flew. Oprah Winfrey was five when she decided she wasn't going to have the life expected of her. She saw through her childhood more than her fair share of heartache, abuse and emotional turmoil. But when she was 17, Winfrey was talent spotted and became the first black female news anchor before the age of 20 in Nashville. 
Oprah went on to host the AM Chicago morning talk show. It became so successful, it was later renamed The Oprah Winfrey Show. And by the time she ended her talk show in 2011 to set up her own cable channel, she had become the first black female billionaire and one of the most powerful women in the world. Not only that, she since gifted millions of dollars to charity. Oprah's dreams and visions took her further than anyone would ever have believed possible, carrying her through incredibly difficult times and becoming one of the world's most admired and successful people. She says, the biggest adventure you can take is to live the life of your dreams. And what an adventure it's been. Don't forget to share your own business dream using hashtag Holly and Co Dreamer. To discover more about business plans, search Three Means Business. is part of your life Mary you know you were brought up through this and and you studied it for people listening that would love to work in this industry or would love to connect into this industry you know if you you're a talented artist right now you know what stops you from knocking on the door of a film what would you recommend to people yeah it's still a largely closed not closed union wise but just closed in in understanding how to get in to film okay, which is so not which with, is again my naivety you know people listening you can just knock on that door yes but Possibly do you know not. which door it is that's the trouble ah, is right. that people don't know which door there are doors there to be knocked <laughs> but you don't know um, where they are and so, how to get there no. Yeah, so so a lot of those entry points come through connections, which is un- an unhelpful piece of advice. Um, but certainly in our little world of graphic design for film, um, a few of us a few years ago did set up a, a, a union to support each other, really, to understand all the you know the ups and downs and what things mean and where to find a, a supplier of a particular ink or a, a, a particular parchment. So we set it up with that in mind, but actually it's turned out that it's been a really good source for new designers to come in who perhaps have graduated in graphic design or illustration but just don't know where that door is so graphicsunion.co.uk is um, a place that uh, new designers can come and offer their services as Eduardo did without that (laughs) um, many years ago to do work experience and eventually become perhaps an assistant and then so so that's that's been really a really uh, we started with about eight people and now I think there's over 200 so it's um a great resource um perhaps the missing link and it will change I'm sure is education and how we're not seeing the people we're meeting here in the gallery and so on and when we give talks we're not seeing any evidence of graphic design for film being taught uh at universities or at schools as as a as a career path. But, but yeah. it's also nicer to say as well that uh, I think some people think that working in films is this, is this amazing experience that you're going to be, is very glamorous, you're going to hang out with the actors and going to have nice food. And uh, <laughs> It's not like that. It's, 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 it's like in any other work. Yeah. It's very hard. It's early hours, long days. And, and always in places that are really inconvenient to get to. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So. <laughs> so get a driving license, get a car and create a portfolio that um, will be distinctive and shows that you have 
a geekness for any one of those things that we talked about before, ephemera, typography, historical, maybe it's sci-fi, but, you know, find that your, your voice. Do you feel, and you've had, you know, it's incredible what you've done. You know, you've worked on films such as Sweeney Todd, The Golden Compass, The Imitation Game, um, and you've recently just illustrated best-selling classics um, for HarperCollins, um, including Alice in Wonderland, The Secret Garden, um, which have got these incredible pop-up details. So anyone listening, you have to get these books. So I talk about immersive brands a lot. You know, I've, I believe that they're going to be the future. Uh, uh, the more we get stuck into tech and the more our lives are so busy, we can't breathe. We want to be feeling, tasting, seeing. We want to do more than we want to buy. Obviously, you've had these experiences where things have been brought to life in a literal experience. But then you've got this book world. You've now got your shop. Um, am I assuming that you too believe in immersive branding or a, an immersive brand? Absolutely, yeah. 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 And um, it's been, I think, the sum of our parts. If we had been two individuals, we might not have known that. But I think the dialogue that we've ha- that has happened over the years and the, so unlocked this idea that um, we try and grab the opportunities to be creative when they come and then see where they will, what path they will unlock next but um to have opportunities to support storytelling is our thing and the passion we have for books as well and when we had this idea with HarperCollins to reintroduce the classics like Peter Pan's and Beauty and the Beast, we really wanted to make something that people would treasure and keep forever, hopefully, and um, and to be able again to retell those stories in our um, way has been incredible. I end all my interviews with the analogy that running your own business, running your vision is like being on this epic roller coaster what's a low moment on this journey I think for us some of our most challenging and lowest moments have been to do with either relationships partnerships that didn't work out that we thought would but it's such a shock because we're so we're such people people and we we want everything to stay positive so when those things happen um there's emotion involved Mm. it can that can really sort of pull it can really threaten your your business prospects and be very hurtful as well yeah so so i think that's probably the lowest bit and eduardo the highs on this roller coaster the highest one i think might even cry actually (laughs) is that we are um we are kind of people come to us now and say that we are they are doing graphic design or they're interested in art being designed because of us I think this is the most incredible thing to, to hear from anyone. And uh, we're going to be celebrating Mira's birthday when we finish here. And they will, Mira will cry. And no, not because we, we are, we are no, it's, it's just, just because it's, it's so it's, humbling it's, it's, all the time yeah, because you can't yeah. imagine that something that, you w- that we were making post offices when we were five and sticking stamps on and rubber stamp kits and wax that you could possibly have actually had this a conversation journey. with someone that you've never met in Australia that through that so that's always humbling and I don't think I think we'd be disingenuous to lose that exactly mm. yeah and another question I always ask who has inspired you maybe someone I could interview on this podcast there 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 are a few people that inspired us I think in our journey but for me there is this special lady 
Stephanie McMillan, and she was the set decorator on all the Harry Potter films. Unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago, and uh, she was the most incredible woman I ever met. Apart from you two, sorry, I'm not taking your credit. And and uh, uh, but she was so elegant, so kind, so full of love, and she was an amazing designer. And, wow! And, and and we still sometimes, if we're in the, what should we? How should we do this? What should we do there? We're like, well, what would Steph do? But from a business point of view, I think if there was someone that would be interesting to hear their story, um, that I'm sort of chasing behind some 20 years behind um, is a jewellery designer called Simon Harrison um, who actually was a student of my mother's years and years and years ago. She's a jewellery designer and he started a business much like us with with a small group of people and even just around the corner from us in in Fitzrovia and has grown his business to some scale and been all through all sorts of ups and downs that might be interesting to to hear so um, I do see him as a bit of a um, a, um, big big business brother yes yes (laughs) oh I'm going to definitely that's such a great recommendation thank you It's been an amazing moment for me and I know so many um, listeners will be Potterheads and will be drooling over every story (laughs) that you have said. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm now going to hand over because it's that time of the podcast where I've asked you both to write a letter to your younger selves. Um, How apt that it's your birthday, Mira, um, tomorrow. Um, Who would like to go first? You know, as I mentioned before, we're always trying to tell the story. So I made my <gasps> I made the younger me a 1970s birthday card. Oh my <laughs> goodness! <laughs> so here we go. I've never had a letter read like this. Yes, and before. I feel this is very um, um, serendipitous that we're having the interview just around my birthday. So, dear Mira, happy sixth birthday! So you've just been to that pantomime, wasn't it brilliant? Gordy Dames sung happy birthday to you under the sparkle of Mirabal's fantastic sets and the wonder of suspended disbelief. However, did they know it was your birthday? Well, it may have made a rather deeper impression than you realise, because that fascination for storytelling and entertainment is going to shape your world in years to come. As a friend from the future, I thought I'd point out a couple of things you may not yet realise. One, your personal good fortune... And I don't mean affluence or luck, but being born into a loving family who will nurture and encourage you in these vital early years. This will arm you with much self-confidence. Two, though drawing, making and creating seems like play to you, it will in fact become your voice and provide you with extraordinary opportunities to make a mark, make great friends and make money. Loving wholly what you do and having the confidence to stick with it often turns out you'll never need a plan B. Three, why ever are you going to go to boarding school so young? Well, it does seem like a great opportunity to make lifelong friends, make a lot of cool stuff and properly break some rules. Don't worry about being away from home, though. This experience will foster a keen sense of independence and a passion for friendship, both of which will equip you with the tools needed for enterprise and teamwork later on. Oh, and by the way, you will also meet the love of your life there. You're only little, but you've been graced with these rock-solid foundations. If you're patient, you can cultivate them into meaningful paths later. There's quite a lot that will happen, but this greeting is not to tell your fortune, just a reminder to appreciate the three things above. Identify your creative voice and work it hard, really hard. This, coupled with patience, will bring artistic success and eventually, hopefully, financial success. 
Be different. I know you're embarrassed by those sparkly Bieber wellies and stripy tights that your mum has put you in, but they will ingrain an individuality you'll need to be distinctive in your career later. By the way, I wish I could wear those now. Cherish the people who come into your life, both personal and professional. There will be significant mentors, partners and offspring who will generously show you a path to an alternative destination. Caveat. They are not all like you and will come with their own particular layers. And lastly, embrace change and surprises. Spoiler ahead. You will meet your adopted half-brother and the story will unravel extraordinarily, a little like the drama in that pantomime. It's a shame we can't meet. I like you and I think we'd get along. It would be just a bit weird if we did. <laughs> Love, Mira. P.S. A person very significant to you is about to be born. <laughs> but I can't say any more. He's in a land far, far away, and I think you'll enjoy the surprise. Oh. Oh. <laughs> We're all crying here. <laughs> it's his birthday soon. Oh. Six years later. Oh, really? <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Just beautiful. I you two are beautiful together. I didn't do a, a card, but I wrote it <laughs> by hand. hand wrote it. Uh, okay, let's try. This is from me when I was 10 years old, 1984. So, dear Eduardinho, that was how my mom and my dad used to call me. First of all, I wish this letter could reach you. Maybe by magic, I will work on this. I really want to tell you that your dreams are going to become true. Well, almost. I'm still chasing them. But telling you that I would stop you doing all the things that you are doing now and that will be make possible for me to achieve where I am now. The reason I'm writing this letter to you is to congratulate you for your determination and commitment to go after your dreams and ambitions. Do everything you are you are doing. Don't change anything. You will make loads and loads of mistakes. You will meet difficult people and they will try to stop you. Don't worry. They won't be around for too long. But you are a strong, it doesn't feel like that yet, and kind little boy, although shy, insecure sometimes, and most of all confused. I can tell you that you're, you made it. You are making films, not yours yet, but hopefully soon, making people smile and most important, uh, inspiring people. The passion for films, storytelling, and design was your destiny. As we both know that we don't come from an arty family, so you can be sure that the universe plants that seed in you and it's flourishing now. All those hot days in Brazil where you prefer to stay inside, drawing, building, inventing, will pay off. Although, try to play some football with your brother sometimes. It doesn't matter if you are not good. Living in a very small town in Brazil seems at the moment to you quite impossible to, Im to imagine your working in film productions, running a successful design studio and shop. But your persistence will kill all the obstacles life will throw at you and be prepared will be many. Don't believe much in luck, in lucky. Hard work, commitment, loyalty and kindness are the tools that will take you out there. All the films you are watching, don't be too upset that your family can, can't afford a VCR. You will have time to watch everything soon. We will be very important forming the person, 
person and professional you are now. I would love to be able to travel back, back in time and go to a film session with you and see you see the shine in your eyes and you dreaming. By the way, the dream to live abroad will take you to London, not the United States. Although you will always be proud of your country and love your roots, you will become a bit British and you will make London your home and you will love it. Your life will be surrounded by strong women, your angels. You know that already. Mom, auntie, cousin, sisters, friends, all mostly women. They will be very important and allies in your life. Treat them really nicely. <laughs> in 2001, you will meet a lovely girl that for some reason you and her will feel that you already know each other. She will open a door for you and together you will conquer the world. You two will be an unstoppable force. She will also introduce you to the crazy film industry in the UK and you both will help to create the most successful film franchise ever. <laughs> and the good thing is she's still around and she will never leave. Oh, tip, she absolutely loves chocolate. <laughs> also, her surnames will fit perfect with yours. Not say anymore. Also, you will marry someone so all those days feeling upset, scared and crying will be for nothing. This is something that if I could, I would send a note for you right now. Being gay is absolutely fine. Don't worry. And your family and friends will support you 100%. Don't let the bullies annoy you. They want to be part of your life and they didn't manage to leave any scars on you. Mauricio, your husband, the love of your life, he will change your life too. And in April this year, you will be celebrated 20 years together. And I am a hundred, a thousand percent sure that you will be together till the end. Anyway, it's getting long, this letter. It's very busy here in 2020. The blonde girl is still around me. So I have to go enjoy everything, enjoy your family, and you will have an incredible life. Be kind and respectful. Love, Ed. Mm. <laughs> Crikey. It's just sitting in front of two people that can create magic outside of your husbands and wives and things like that. And you just, you feel this connection between the two of you and you were born on opposite sides of the globe. Your creativity brought you together. You have built unbelievable things. You are going to build unbelievable things, but you know you'll be together forever. And I just think it's just a beautiful end to this podcast and I'm privileged to have witnessed it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you Riley. So Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come then bring them